Next on the Well of Sound, Roxy Music. probably say that as Americans we're, we're a little bit yeah like, we we're out out of the loop we were out of the loop yeah. I mean this is not a band that made any inroads in America or any significant inroads uh, not until Avalon basically but the 70s is a whole different story as someone said they're describing Avalon they said it was like um, uh, music for tired adults <laughs> <laughs> I mean should we go back to the yeah let's let's what rewind do, do the full rewind <laughs> to uh, northern England and that is a huge surprise and that's a huge underlying fact you know we talk about the American dream but here you have Brian Ferry from Newcastle north of England depressed country his father has to get a job working not kind of training this? horses in the mines he wasn't so much a miner as he looked after pit ponies didn't yeah, he? Well, he, he, worked down, he worked down the pit uh, for about three and six a week, um, looking after pit ponies. He used to be a farmer, then he sort of went down the pits uh, looking after the horses. Well, what was his reaction when his only son decided he wanted to go all arty? Well, he always thought I was a bit mad. I love this quote from the book you recommended, The Thrill of It All, um, which is about, uh, it's the Roxy story, but the, but the author <laughs> says this about Brian Ferry's dad. Um, after a career of, of working in the mines. Unsurprisingly, Fred Ferry maintained a lifelong dislike of being underground. <laughs> nice, I remember that. He like really got in, really into gardening. Yeah, and, as a result. Uh, because he was like, I don't want to be anywhere close. To, but brazenly working class uh, uh, uproots, but, uh, roots, but then to go to who he is now, which is sort of, he, he reeks of aristocracy almost, or that's, yeah. that's his image. Yeah. And that's a long journey. It's a very long journey. But it, but from sort of what he recounts about his past, I mean, he's sort of, he was basically cursed with fine taste. And there he is, yeah. you know, the, the, the son of a pit pony handler. <laughs> I mean, he loves his parents, but the, the, the taste level throughout is just off the charts. Right. He, he gravitates towards music early on, jazz. It seems like uh, Charlie Parker was his... his first album that he bought and which I find interesting because a lot of these guys we've talked about um, you know they, they go to soul and R&B but but Brian was sort of steeped in jazz right away but then he ends up going to art school in Newcastle and is paving a way for himself as a painter uh, but he's also in a band called the gas board. The gas board. Yeah yeah. And he I think in 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 university he takes one class one semester with it's Richard Hamilton right the great yeah uh, sort of avant-garde uh, pop artist pop right? artist postmodern huge uh, I think he was a student of Duchamp maybe okay or at least a good like major influence of that and and that uh, 
is is almost where he takes the blueprint for everything. Everything. When you think of Richard, you always tend to think of it in an intellectual way, because he was he always seemed to be incredibly clever, and one was rather daunted by that as a student. You know? And you always felt that you had to try and push your idea a little bit further than you perhaps wanted to. And that was a very good thing. If, if the Velvet Underground had Warhol, then here you have Richard Hamilton, right. who is that figure. And for there's a them. cult around him of these young students who, you know, worship sort of everything he's about. And everything can be art. It's, it's, it yeah. was all idea first. Yes. It was all idea first, like ability or skill second, maybe third. And sort of stripping away any cultural connotation on an image. So everything's fair game. Evaluate the image for, for what it is. Like the Duchamp taking a toilet and just putting his name putting on his it. Name saying, like, this looks cool. Right. You can kind of get away from your associations. Right. Or maybe even if you can, you don't even have to. Right. That is, um, that's what we're dealing with here. I was living a kind of dual life for a while. Um torn between the two things so at that point for me they were quite separate um, the, the, the worlds of music and, and painting and it wasn't until you know a few years later that I managed to kind of pull them together he and uh, Graham Simpson head to London to make their way as musicians and and start up a band and they get uh, Andy Mackay <laughs> who was also uh, a, I guess an art school student or a music student but he brings along Captain Eno. Can we get the full name of Brian Eno? We have to. We have to. Um... Is that for real? I think it is. Also, do you know why he was called Captain Eno? Is uh, that it's some kind of nickname that seems like it comes from Fripp. Um, maybe. Okay, this is what apparently he is born in Woodbridge, Suffolk, May fifteenth, nineteen forty-eight. A child is born named Brian <laughs> Peter George Saint John Le Baptiste de La Salle Eno. Proudly a non-musician. Right. Mackay says that uh, oh, we did sort of nihilistic happenings where we would sit in silence for a long time and someone would climb up a stepladder. We would make some funny electronic noises with a tape recorder. That sort of thing. <laughs> like, that's what they're hanging out and doing in college. And then they run into each other in London. Yeah. Um, and Mackay is sort of already on board with uh, Graham Simpson and Brian Ferry as far as forming this band that that brian uh has guy who's really let's put it out there he is trained on the oboe uh, yeah and he wants to be the f first rock and roll oboist, oboist. slash saxophonist i mean and he's god damn it he gets away with it he definitely <laughs> talk about a dream fulfilled <laughs> uh, and they bring eno on as a quote-unquote sound doctor and so, like those early gigs, they have got Brian Eno actually in the crowd, at like the soundboard or somewhere, somewhere in the in the with a console, yeah, uh, flipping knobs and switches and putting on delays and effects and things like that. So he's the band is playing and he's playing the band. There was always an ambiguity about where the sound actually came from. You know, people always used to say after concerts, "I don't know what you were doing, but I think I liked it," <laughs> because it was since I was treating instruments that were already playing on stage. It was quite difficult to assess my contribution to the sound. You know, I was just sometimes accentuating some quality that already existed in the instruments on stage. He's sort of live producing them. Live producing them. And with the VCS3, which came out in 69. So it's at this point, it's only like, you know, two or three years old. Um, and everyone and they're wants just messing with things. Them. Yeah, they don't really even know what they're for. Right. And Eno um, is sort of from the start... 
Yeah, again, it's it sounds like it shouldn't work, and um, I guess if it had been any other group of group of guys, it might not have. But um, but they get Paul Thompson, the only real musician in early Roxy music, is yeah. what they always say is Paul Thompson, who is this unbelievably great drummer who, who holds it together. The very first record, any like all of those songs, the drumming is is so forward, in fact, and it's like. He sounds like a guy drumming in 2015. I mean, he sounds yeah. he clearly set the stage for a lot of how drums are produced and how they're played and it's kind of and he's like solid and interesting. He's like 19 or something at the time. Yeah. So th- it's a bunch of non-musicians and uh and Paul David Thompson o- o- List and they comes get in. David O'List who is a, a, a already known guitarist for the Nice, right? Yeah. And he <laughs> in all the interviews in the book he very much is like very bitter about not having made it in. Yeah, he's like, I band. basically built half these damn songs. Yeah, these are all, he played all my arrangements, everything. I basically should have been co-writing all these songs. But then he goes on to play with Ferry and solo stuff a lot. So who right. knows how truthful any of it is. But uh, at the last minute, somehow, he's before they, as they're getting big, they play a few g- gigs with a list. Yeah, should we listen to uh, one of those uh, sessions? Because I, what what you hear here, you hear the songs that basically they've been working on for about a year and really hammering out. Um, and Ferry's been, you know, sort of band leading. Um, and uh, but it's clear that O List is dominating the sound with his guitar and sort of a, 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 a what will be classic rock guitar sound. Um, but what do you think about uh, remake remodel? Yeah, of course. I tried, but I could not find a way. Looking back, all I did was look away. Next time is the best time we all know. But if there is Yeah, I mean, you know, he's noodling in that classic yeah. rock way. <laughs> you understand why Ferry would be like, eh. Yeah. It's, we're going to go with it. We go with a completely unknown guy named Phil Manzanera. Right. That's his his, that's, that his mom's maiden name that yeah. he takes because otherwise he's a, uh, uh, he has a, a pretty white bread name. He's got a double barreled last name, I think. Um, Philip Jeffrey Target Adams. <laughs> but it's 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 hyphenated, right? Hyphen, Target Adams is hyphenated. Yeah, I mean that's uh, yeah. So oh. he takes his his mom's uh, uh, maiden name, and then they get a gig uh, on the John Peel sessions, which is which what is we just cr- heard. Which is crazy. And then yeah. finally they get to audition for their management company, E.G., who already was repping uh, King Crimson and T Rex. Um, so this is the big moment, and Davey O'List. Uh, uh, bails because of internal strife and Manzanera comes on board and and finally we have this first version of Roxy Music. And they somehow convinced, isn't it, they convinced Chris Thompson to to, to produce this first record. No, it's... Towards uh, Thomas, no? It's uh, Paul Sinfield. It's, oh, um, it's, it's a guy the King, from King, King Crimson. Crimson guy. Um, and he basically says that Again, the be- the best artist in the mix um, is is Paul Thompson, who um, manages to keep the beat every time. But everybody else is all over the board. Yeah, 
and the fact that the, the process of making that first record is really trying to sort of make it sound uh, to, to preserve some of the chaos with but not too much of it right and um, I think he does a good job I think, I he, think he does it too to I, when I keep you keep reading about how they're non-musicians you know especially but the other ones none of them could really play you know the way that Ferrier composed songs was he just never had any thirds in any of his chords and um but then you listen to a, a song like Ladytron, and it yeah. sounds to me like it's just as sophisticated as anything. Yep. Um, should we listen to that one? Yeah. You've got me, girl, on the run around, run around, got me all around town. You've got me, girl, on the run around, and it's a get me down. How do we describe their sound and this record? Well, you that's a good track to hear what Eno does with the band, um, which oftentimes he's criticized it as doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but there you get to hear the looped uh, uh, oboe that you get to hear what he does with Andy Mackay. Um, and you also... I mean, let's talk about Brian Ferry's voice, which is there is Bella Lugosi esque. He's doing this vampire thing that that they always call him, sort of the glam vampire. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's 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 it was off putting to me for a while, uh-huh. and then once you break through, you're like, this is incredible. Incredible voice for using his limitations. He's able to express so much. I read some quote from Kate Bush, being like um, the great Kate Bush, being like, "For me, it was always like Brian Ferry's voice was the most amazing instrument I'd ever heard, and it convinced me that I could. All I wanted to hear was Brian Ferry's voice. It convinced me that I could make music myself. I mean, again, it's it's dreamlike. It's 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 like nothing else, and yet it's like so many things. I finally figured out what it is that it reminds me the most of. And maybe I shouldn't say it cuz it'll maybe it'll it'll bother people but um Glinda the Good Witch from the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> the Munchkins, they're laughing because I am a witch. I'm Glinda the Witch of the North. I mean he's his a lot of his reference points are pre pre-rock, golden era Hollywood. Golden era and he would be instrumental in sort of highlighting a lot of that stuff almost almost in your face contrarian like a lot of these people would be like before Elvis Presley there was no music right and here he is uh covering Sinatra songs I made up with Andy I think Mackay a kind of great list of names of cinemas like Odeon and Gormont and Soldo and all, all these sort of names which had a very nice ring to them but they didn't really mean anything except there was a place where you went to to escape from everyday life and uh, and picture palaces, you know? And Roxy seemed to be the nicest one. There's so much going on in every that, one of these songs. They say that there was like there were twelve ideas about how rock could go forward instead of twelve songs. It was like these are twelve possible routes we could take, which is so completely true, and that's why it feels so incredibly 
fresh even even now. They're they're making sort of Beatle level shifts in in the tempo and the dynamic of the song, but they're almost the anti Beatles and they're amateurs, and so theoretically they shouldn't be pulling this off, and yet they do. Yeah, they shouldn't have like a ride of the Valkyries in the middle of. Ladytron or whatever whatever it is that the incredible breakdown that happened at that time this was in 1973 the main trend of um, British pop music if you like seemed to be a continuation of the Beatles Rolling Stones late 60s feeling of um, some kind of an accent on melody and an accent on a kind of sweetness what interests me about the Velvet Underground was that they were something different from that, and there was a, a harshness to their music that I liked a lot. So this whole time, Ferry has has been working with Anthony Price, who's a is, uh, a designer. Yep. Um, and they put together um, a look for the album. Brian has said, "I'd like to have a Rita Hayworthish looking pinup." That was when the modeling question was used because she was the model of the moment and she had that look. And the way we dressed her in that kind of chocolate box pin-up 40s look, for want of a better word, um, it, it, it worked. EG, their management company, finances the album. Um, they, they do it with the King Crimson guy, Sinfield. Um, and they've got the album cover and everything. And... Island Records is on the fence about picking up this record, but then they see the look, they see the whole package, and they go like, "Yeah, let's let's do this. let's do this thing." And you open, and it comes out, and and these guys look incredible. I mean, Eno's look at this point is uh, truly alien. You know what? One of the things we said when we talked about Kiss, yeah, we used that that incredible Pete Townsend quote. He said, "You know, if Kiss had been in England." If they dressed like that, you would yeah. have expected just Captain Beefheart type music. Right. You would have expected Roxy music. Roxy That's music right. looked that crazy, and their music had that many left turns and innovations in it. That's and that's one thing that's, I think it was uh, too much for American audiences at that point, perhaps. Though, anytime you discuss why they didn't, I've noticed a lot of discussion, especially among the band members, about why they never broke it in America. It always ends up being this kind of massive put down of America. I know. And I get it. They're America, right. They're, they're sort of right, but then again, there are plenty of high-concept things that have, that have done okay here. Maybe not, we don't have the quite the literary appre- irony appreciation that the Brits naturally I think it's have. the irony thing. I mean, Roxy Music is so infused with, with irony, um, and that's, that's not a hugely American trait. No, but Brian was also saying the whole time that melody is the most important thing to him. Yeah. Even though I would actually say that image and melody are the most important things <laughs> Let's to him. Not forget how because he, he's saying like like uh, he's telling everyone in the band how to dress. He's completely yeah. um, he, he wants to be completely in control of the statement. He says that it's a work of art. I wrote all these songs. This is sort of my thing. Right. And so you have this amazing cover with the model sort of you can't quite tell. Someone said all of their cover models are like just they're almost. Like masculine, masculine. They're just on the on the female side of masculine, but yeah. and sexy though. Yeah, they don't have a kind of, and maybe this is easy for me to say. I don't know, but I I don't feel like they are salacious in a um in a cheap way. No, it feels like honestly, it feels like pop art. Yeah, yeah. There's a distance. So 
this album comes out, it's a powerhouse, but but really it, it hinges on them putting out a single called Virginia Plain. Which is such a great song. Let's play it. Make me a deal and make it straight. Oh, sign and seal. I take it to Robert Deliacho. I hope that he don't blow it up. We've been around a long time. Just try to try to try to make the big time. So we sort of did this song as an afterthought, really, uh, this recording of Virginia Plain. And suddenly uh, that was the one they, they wanted as to spearhead the kind of birth of Oxymuse. Those descending synthesizers like that is so incredible. Thompson's drums, amazing. The little galloping, like saxophone oboe thing again you think nothing i don't like about this song and it's it it is synthesized in that it works together so perfectly nobody nobody dominates nobody hogs it's it's perfectly balanced i mean you know again we were talking about it with seeger it's like you know uh, having a horn player in your band can be a curse but i don't think it is the case with roxy music the lyrical sensibility by the way is unbelievably um vivid yes i think like it's a lot of again phrases he's big into imagery up. and yeah. and that's what we're getting is is bite-sized images over and over and over again that are sort of popping yep um and they're powerful and rhythmically designed too, to yeah to work course. together yeah of course um so they they do virginia playing on top of the pops and it's a sensation and you can watch that video on watch youtube it. watch oh it. my gosh but the one sort of ever-present uh, uh element of roxy music is as sort of again synthesized as the whole sound is mm-hmm. and how well it works together on stage they are islands they kind of bop to themselves but there's no you're not getting kiss level interaction of 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 uh, yeah right are we doing this are we doing this they're in reaction or at least in relief to in contrast to a lot of like basically blues rockers and everything that kind of that led zeppelin is this sort of counterpoint to them a lot of ways yeah in that um they're they're not interested in being like Led Zeppelin, and that's not a slight to Zeppelin, but um, they're if 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 they were to go if Zeppelin goes right, uh, Roxy goes left every single time. If you're going to perform your music on stage, people sitting there looking at you for an hour and a half or whatever. It seems to me that one should try and work something out which is reasonably interesting to look at. Presenting the music in a kind of fun way helps to attract a much wider audience. It is very much a 24-hour business. That means that you have to be totally dedicated to your kind of work. And this glam thing, the outfits are so outrageous, um, and it's it should all we should 
um, they talk about it always. They always get a real big following and um, reaction in the north of England, where things are so dreary, yeah. and people sort of needed some glam. Yes. They wanted to kind of a real escapism. In London, things are their lives are a little bit more exciting naturally, right. but they'd go up there to Newcastle and um, or to Glasgow, and they would uh, set the place on fire. And they'd come to America, and everyone would would would. They said that the two places in America where it played well was, I think, Detroit and Columbus, Ohio, places where there, it was sort of very dreary mm. and industrial. People sort of responded the most well to the glam thing. So the other things that are happening at the time yeah. is um, Bolin. Bolin's huge. And Bowie. Yeah. Right. So um, Bowie's star is rising. But, Bolin but is people already, don't realize T-Rex was bigger. I mean, he was he was right. like a Beatlesque phenomenon. But the thing about those two guys is they had already gone through previous 60s-esque stages. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bowie had, had chased the 60s boy band look, even though it was, it's one guy, um, and the sound. And Bolin has gone, had already gone for the psychedelia with Tyrannosaurus Rex. These guys literally come out of nowhere is what it feels like and as a result with the critics it creates enemies instantly of of people that dismiss them entirely and then it creates total devotees Mm -hmm. it's exciting music it was was just they didn't know where it was going exactly so where they do go is they lose grand simpson um he departs and starts the the cycle of it what is ironic and entertaining to me is that the bass lines in so many of their great songs are very prominent and awesome. Yeah. And yet, it's they almost don't have us the same basis for any two albums. Right. If you think about Love is the Drug, unbelievable bass line. Uh, if you think about Out of the Blue, unbelievable bass line. If you think about any of the great uh, sort of disco era stuff, bass lines, bass lines, bass lines. And yet, they couldn't get a, like, one guy to st- stay in that seat. Do you think it's a Chris Thomas thing? Because once we get into For Your Pleasure, which is the next album, he comes on board as producer and mm-hmm. basically sticks with them for, for a good good while. And Chris Thomas is able to sort or of... Thomas, I'm sorry. Thomas is able to match Ferry's perfectionism, Ferry's very perfectionistic and... Um, He's not a he's as as prolific as they are in their early years. It sounds like Fairy's really chasing, uh, you know, minute detail in everything. And right. Thomas is kind of like oh, 48 takes of the baseline uh, for this song. This feels like a little much. So for your pleasure, also marks. So I I can't say enough about this album. It was the first one that I really got to know. Um, but it's also the time when the two figureheads of the band are are clashing at their most. Brian Eno and Brian Ferry are not getting along at all, and it basically has everything to do with sort of the the vision of of the band. And Eno um, is developing a massive following yes. at their live shows, where you'd have like a cheering section. I think you know. Um, you know Rocky Horror Picture Show, of course. Mm-hmm. I think I'm pretty sure that the Butler character, the yeah. famous but is, is modeled. modeled after it's got you know. to be modeled on. Yeah, yeah. Arrived on a rather special night. It's one of the master's affairs. Oh, lucky him. Because you know it's got that. It's a very strange wispy look blonde. to be the wispy, like receding hairline, but really long, yeah. with makeup. And you know we find out in these books that he had a tremendous uh, libido. And, yeah, and, and although Fairy is like unbelievably debonair and good looking, uh, 
Brian he was knows insatiable. Insatiable. It's like Gene Simmons level almost. There's a story about how he he like uh, colla- had a collapsed, collapsed lung. lung. <laughs> <laughs> but this adds to the tensions, and they none of them because they're that English from the north, they can't talk to each other about anything. So Ferry just sort of starts ignoring him until he leaves, I think. And here's the other thing is like Ferry is is the ultimate introvert. Um except when on stage and he's doing this these strange mannerisms and he's putting his heart and soul into his his performance um, and he's center stage. And when he gets off stage, he's exhausted and has very little to say already because he's an introvert and Eno has just been sitting down like noodling with some knobs so that he's when, ready to go. when the reporters come... Again, production was something that you could approach in two different ways. You could either say that the role of a producer is to make the most accurate possible record of a performance or the role of a producer is to use the studio as an instrument which somehow um, bound together and uh, made the best of the instruments that were given in the performance and if this meant completely destroying the raw material and building something new out of its ashes kind of thing I was prepared to do that as well. He's got tons to say. And hyper-articulate. I mean, hyper-articulate and intellectual, and he sounds great. I mean, soundbite-wise, Eno's amazing. And meanwhile, Ferry's like, um, er, uh, um, uh, I don't know. Like, y- you know, saw he, what I did. Isn't that enough? He's a bad interviewee. Brian, I'm astonished to find you on here. I know you've been on... I've interviewed you before, yes, but I know yeah. you hate being interviewed and you're desperately shy. And yet here Terrifying you are doing a promotional tour. Why do you subject yourself to this sort of thing? Um, well, I like to make life a bit difficult for myself, I think. Um, <laughs> I don't think everything should come easy, do you? Agree? about looks he's he's obsessed with the fantasy of things mm-hmm. and and it clashes with his own reality a lot i mean and sort of the great song on that record that's about that is in every dream home a heartache okay so let's talk about this <laughs> oh my god so let me just tell you that my experience of this song it, it was it was live and in person i listen i started listening to this song it's seductive and halfway through when he reveals that he's, he's singing to a blow-up doll, I have this double take of, is this, is this really happening? Is this what's happening? <laughs> and then he says, I blew up your body. And you blew my mind. And then we get Phil Manzara doing this epic guitar. Not only is the line perfect because the song literally blew my mind at that point, I think it's a high watermark of like rock and roll. Because they hold you for so So long long. and they pay it off. And uh, there's a great video of them doing this with Eno. They're still 73, and you're just like, oh, like, this is. This is high concept. It's high concept. And it starts and at out the same serious time, and then, you, then it's like humorous because you do realize it's a doll. And also it's it's so cheap. 
You know what I mean? And not only is a is a is a blow up doll a sort of a cheap image, the transition is so dirty. <laughs> I blew up your body and you blew my mind. Is is just a cheap punch, but it works so well. It works, so well. It works and, on and multiple levels. The crescendo at, that occurs after that with the sort of uh, gang vocals is just. I think it's a. It's an amazing song. It's an amazing song. And I recommend listening to it on it's, Viva, which doubles down. Like, don't listen to that first. Listen listen to the live version on Viva afterwards, and it's even more heightened. So Eno ends up leaving, right? Yeah, Eno departs uh, basically feeling like for your pleasure. They committed so much time to uh, uh, the first album, and then he feels like they could have done so much more with the second. I think it's great. Um, but... Eno had his own things to do, and and once he leaves the band, um, you know, begins the journey of the great the great Eno that that. I mean, someone so said many that, people like, are I'm devoted. I'm thrilled to. that Eno left Roxy because it gave us both stranded and here come the warm jets and like these are great, and and there's still a lot of cross pollination like Phil Manzanera. And Paul Thompson are playing, I think, on a lot of a lot of Eno's early stuff. For sure. And so is Andy Mackay. And yep. uh, Eno plays on Phil Manzanera's records. I mean, there's and they continue to they, they form a band together in like seventy six or something yep. like that. Eight oh one. Eight oh one. So um but for the time being, people are worried because Eno's had such a presence in the press and he's been so wild and as as this and figure. for the longest time personally i was just stuck on these these two albums like yeah. i i didn't move on and i sort of associated like uh, pretty much anything post eno roxy music was probably just wasn't as good and i moved right away to uh uh here come the warm jets and taking tiger mountain by strategy because those albums are phenomenal yeah i mean you know, he, he develops certain craft um, with those two albums, free association with Here Come the Warm Jets, and then his oblique strategies with Taking Tiger Mountain. And um, they're, they're, they're wonderful. Should we play one, one Eno song? Totally. Um, how about, I think sort of his, his most accessible is, uh, is The True Wheel. The chorus there is here. We are the 801, which is the name of the band that uh, he, he that Manzanero more formed. Time. I mean, he these are four records he releases between then and '77. Another Green World, which before. is everyone calls the classic. I, I I don't love it as much, but it's awesome. I like Before and After Science a lot, which is the for last sure. of them. And he um, and then he sort of just abandons it for ambient music because he gets. I think the story is that he gets in a car accident. Yeah. So seventy. Four or five, um, he gets hit by a car, um, and they're sort of like, he's not walking away from this. So he has a lot of bed rest, and um, he's listening to records, and one of the channels on his, I think, stereo system goes out, and so he's hearing things distorted. Um, he's losing half the music, but what he discovers is um, 
it's actually a pleasant way to listen and he after that begins to play with the idea of not music as background music but sort of as as whatever you need it to be i wanted the feeling that you got a strong sense of geographical location when you listened to the piece of music. You felt that it was in dark trees or over Fire Island or, you know, it was in some landscape, in some environment. If you listen to a pop record, it's designed in such a way that it wants to command your attention. It wants to arrest your attention for a while. I thought that it was interesting to make music that offered you more choices than that. Music where you could be completely engaged or that you could move out of, but that would still carry on in the background. Again, this was widely interpreted as being background music. <laughs> that isn't what I meant. I meant background or foreground music. I meant music that would be, that could stand in any relationship to you. So between uh, Another Green World and Before and After Science is discrete music, which um, is mostly ambient um, and is awesome. And he's, um, so he goes on from there to do everything he does in the 80s and he becomes this hugely successful. In the 70s, low, like the, the, the Berlin year of Bowie records. I mean, he changes the game, let's face it. Like, he changes pop music. And when we talked about Scott Walker in our in our least popular episode of all time, the um, <laughs> <laughs> Eno is quoted in that. I mean, he's so blown away by Scott Walker, but Eno's on that level. And a lot of people would say that Eno was sort of like an also ran David Bowie there for a while, but mm. he's very different and um, much less... Um, he, could, he, he could have been a lesser Bowie had he not continued to experiment. If you're working, you always have this feeling that you shouldn't ask too many questions because you might demystify the situation and so it will become impotent for you after that. I'm testing out to see whether that happens. I don't think that that ever happens, really. If you really do try to discover the what you might call the, the spiritual basis of your work, you'll find that you have a lot more to do rather than less to do. The, the author of uh, the, th- uh, the Thrill of It All calls him uh, Rock's greatest backseat driver. <laughs> <laughs> they, they say that also say that he's, uh, his gift is for the verticality in music, which uh-huh. I've never heard that phrase before, meaning he's less interested in the horizontal, which would be different notes, you know, A, B, C, uh, D, E, F, G, yeah. uh, more interested in the, the vertical elements to stack on top of a note to change the timbre and the sound, and he's much more of a soundsmith than uh, um, you know mel- melodicist in, in the other, in the opposite way. Although there's um, those solo records are packed with like Beach Boy esque yep. melodies. Yep, uh, always That's a little the fun of it. I mean, they're really upbeat. And speaking of upbeat, oh, where have you been, my blue-eyed son? Where have you been, my darling young one? Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! So we have uh, Ferry starts. This is this is where a lot this of I think the, the this is where a lot of the um, division occurs yes. actually among Roxy music fanatics yes. because Brian starts a uh, solo career very early. Yeah. So right after the second album, for your pleasure, and after Eno leaves, Ferry says, "I'm gonna do my thing too," and he does a solo album of covers slash what he calls them ready-made the ready-made for me in music is uh, is like a song that already exists you know that you 
uh, you might have a feeling for or something, and uh, you try and do your version of it. You sign it with your own stamp. He says, yeah, Elvis Sinatra, uh, none of these people wrote their own music, and it was still great. Yeah. And I'm going to do that same thing, too, which kind of says, well, Brian, they were singers in a way that you are not a singer. <laughs> Although he, I, I absolutely love his voice. Right. I think his voice is very I'm very much on the side of the people that think his voice is at its best when it's married to words that he's written yes and um but the first these foolish things he does this great cover of a hard rain's gonna fall the Dylan song and I get why it glams it up it's so it was so troublesome for so many at the time like uh a hard rain's gonna fall is is Ernest. Ernest. Um, and he's putting in sound effects of rainbows and dogs howling and it, camping it up, basically. And uh, But the, the first one, it feels like it's a bit of a lark. Um, yeah, we've also when got... when he does like, the next four <laughs> solo albums are also covers <laughs> um, and like increasingly like older songs. And you're like, wait a second, is he serious about all this? That's the whole thing. Um, it's like, is he serious? There's some fans of early Roxy who might have been totally horrified. And they thought, oh, what's he doing that for? But I thought, well, you know, art can be fun as well as serious. If you only call it art, but let's call it art, so... I think it's quite nice to do to be try and be light as well as heavy, <laughs> and I was I was writing heavier stuff myself, so I was thinking let's do some lighter, more kind of buoyant material as well, you know, which is written by other people and try and do do something uh, inventive with it. Some of it's great, don't get me wrong, but uh, I think that um, these are stuff that I listened to once and sort of put down at least these foolish things which i own i and i really like hard rain's gonna fall there's a great video of it um but i much rather hear it listen to the stranded Roxy comes back together um, for their 1973 album, Stranded. In the same year, though, but yeah. the, do, For Your Pleasure came out in 73. Yeah. It's, it's later and that so, year. And so and they recruit Eddie Jobson. Yeah, he's really good at the electric violin. He, he fills Eno's place. <laughs> what do we need? We need an electric violinist and a guy who can twist knobs. And he's not. He's much more of like a musician than Eno yes, was, but less sure. of a crackpot genius. Um Although I think that that is a put down of Eddie in a way that's not quite fair because the stuff, what he adds to these records is phenomenal. So this next series of records is... It's the next phase. It's the next phase. It's a new sound. But what we're losing here is, is the, I think, the experimentation, the danger of it all, the wet paint feel that those first two albums have. And what we get is, is the band really like honing their sound and it's good and uh yeah and fairy really learning how to write songs i mean he's a he's in this is one of the great things that doesn't go that is not said that often about brian fairy and i think should be said more uh is that he is a phenomenal songwriter yes they're saying at this point he's probably one of england's greatest songwriters he and bowie i think are the they're right there together they street life is is a great song um what do you want to play I want to play, uh, well, I think we got to play Street Life. Do it.
They know how to open a record. God damn it. And uh, Song for Europe is one of my absolute favorite tracks. It's a spoiler alert for the final list. I think that that song uh, birthed a genre almost. And, you know, there are certain... What what you see here, starting with Stranded, is is, uh, the formula. You're going to get certain songs from Roxy Music every time. And Song for Europe is kind of one of the dirges. in for your pleasure editions of you is their Virginia plane for the second album. Mm-hmm. You're, you're getting sort of repeat performances, but everyone is unique and everyone is good on its own. Um, it's, it's work. It works so well together. I like mother of Pearl. It's, it's not my absolute favorite. I think Amazona is great. And that's sort of, um, you have Phil coming into his own a little bit there. Yeah. And let's say Phil is, you know, was not a great guitarist at the beginning, but eventually he sort of dials in his sound, which is on sort of the, is more on the David Gilmore side of things, I would say. Um, and that's what's interesting also about Roxy Music is, is again, nobody is doing this sound because on one side we have prog rock, we have the King Crimsons and Genesis, um, and then on the wholly other side we have the more accessible David Bowie um, stuff going on. And Roxy Music is right in the and middle, the, the reaching, rock. yeah, reaching at both things um, and doing it their way. Yeah. And, it's uh, fantastic, and they keep going. I mean, they, they almost immediately record Country Life. Which I, I, I love. I was a holdout on, on, again, this second phase, but I went right to Country Life, naturally. I mean, <laughs> I was obsessed <laughs> well, with the cover as two, soon as I Two reasons, it. yeah. <laughs> um, but the thrill of it all, again, an awesome opener. Um, all I Want Is You is a rocker, man. What about... Casanova. Casanova. Let's hear it. You were the hero so many times. You've loved and didn't linger. Now my finger points at you. Another loser. You and I look. starting to write things that are a little more linear and Casanova is him I think that what they interpreted is him sort of making fun of himself because at this point Ferry's I think his second is his second solo album yet out yet or it's it's close uh, another time another place and that's is now 74 yeah now he is dressed in a white tuxedo uh, or a white dinner jacket and black this is pants. another fork in the road, I think. And he's sort of staking his claim. He he looks extremely cool, but this is him jet setting it up, and in a way that you maybe he's making fun of it at that point, but it becomes his actual image. Yeah, we were kind of playing around with kind of images of what, uh, and the Roxy thing. Uh, first couple of Roxy albums had these kind of rather elaborate. You know, costumes and visuals, I went with it. And so for the first solo album, I did something different, like a black T-shirt. And then the next one, what are we doing now? The white tuxedo and black tie, which is just a classic male look, you know. We thought, oh, we'll do something which is just clear-cut and graphic. And, and that's, we thought it was quite ironic, you know. Um, 
that's, you know, we're in like the rock and roll business, but we're trying to look like, like a movie star or something. So um, that was the idea. And it, it worked only too well. <laughs> You got to remember at the time, I mean, this is the height of Zeppelin, like everybody's wearing, you know, Canadian tuxedos with no shirt, you know, not uh, real tuxedos. And and, he's going the opposite direction. Yeah, he's going full opposite direction. And people, again, are like, is this a joke or not? He also um, made himself timeless with that move as well. Because once he sort of fast forwarded his look to classic, he doesn't really age. And uh, it, it bears repeating that he's um, uh, he's a very good-looking man. I mean, he's yep. not uh, he, he can do it because he's got kind of those timeless movie star looks. I want to point out also that on uh, another time, another place, which is so telling about where Brian Perry's head usually is, is wishing that you know he was in a different era. Um, but. Uh, uh, Another Time, Another Place, the title track is the first original Brian Ferry song that shows up on these solo albums. It's pretty good. Um, and it's a good song. I, I actually in Your Eyes is amazing, his version of that. I, I, I love pretty much all the songs on, the, on that second solo in album. Crowd is really good. Um, I like the Chris Christopherson song. Help it, Me Make It Through the Night. Yeah, I, I, I like them a lot. So then from Country Life, uh, we get Siren. Jerry Hall. Jerry Hall enters the picture, and man, yeah, I know she was she's something. She's the seventies, but again, she's sort of got that jaw that makes it look a little slightly androgynous if they look closely. Yeah, I mean, she and also she's like this this demoness mermaid. She's got like bat wings on on her ankles there. This is a record just like Country Life that I'd seen the cover for a million times and never listened to. Never listened to. Um, it struck me as almost overly arty. I th- I was thinking it was yacht rock when it's not, even though it's got sort of the, some of the antecedents there. Right. Um, and it opens with "Love Is the Drug," which becomes their biggest hit, I think, in America. <laughs> They're Detroit Rock City. They've got the car sound, the the crunch of the gravel. Somebody's getting in the car and driving away. And at this point, he stopped wearing his white dinner jacket and is instead wearing like he he's like I like uniforms. And uniform. He looks like a sort of a a Boy Scout, but he's got an eye patch and he's doing his, his his awkward dancing and. But then there's, I mean, I gotta play end of the line. This is the second song on here. Think I walk out in the rain. I mean, that's the height of Ferry's powers, in, in, in my opinion, because it's what he was, it's, it's part of the reason why he clashed with Eno, 
is he wanted songs to be simpler mm -hmm. and more romantic. And End of the Line is a romantic-sounding song. His voice it has never sounded more beautiful, in, and, in my uh, opinion. I mean, I think he's he's got full command of it now. Yes. And, um, I mean, it ends up being prophetic in that they sort of stop Roxy for a little while after this. But this, this um, record um, happens to be my favorite. Um, uh, it's the one I've listened to the most. I can't uh -huh. get enough of it. I think the song Sentimental Fool is uh, it's got this like two minutes people say the art was where was the art where's the art I mean listen to the first two minutes of Sentimental Fool it's yeah. just sort of keyboard noodling and then it breaks into this incredible song and um, it's it's f f beautifully melodic with tons of that off kilter I mean you listen to his voice how could that possibly be accused of artlessness I mean it's 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 he's not singing like anyone else would sing and you have uh, man Manzarez Manzanera. Manzanera. I always say it. I always want and to say it's it. hard to say. Manzanera. But it's like, easier to say than hefty Target Jones or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Eno de la Salle, Jean Baptiste. Yeah. Yeah. It, it confounds a lot of people, which is that when he's with Roxy, the sound is is like nothing else and it's moving and yet you know, the next thing he's going to record is Let's Stick Together. Let's Stick Together was was a song uh, I'd, I really liked the original version, which was fantastic. R&B classic, really, by Wilbur Harrison, who wrote the song. And uh, I just thought, well, maybe this is one I can do. And it's great, because it has a horn section that plays one note throughout the whole, <laughs> throughout the whole song. You know? So it's quite... It's quite easy to cut. <laughs> and um, great saxo by uh, Chris Mercer. And, and uh, Jerry Hall has this cameo appearance, which for the video was wonderful. You know, it was a great, uh, it was a great visual thing. And uh, I got a chance to play my harmonica. So it's quids in, really. It's a solo album, more covers. But it, now he's starting to cover himself. He's doing 2HB. He's doing remake, remodel. But it's which sort of nightclub versions. Nightclub versions. Let's hear remake, remodel. hyperactive Marvin Gaye bass lines. Exactly, and he's got the, the, the female backup singers, and, and he's he's sort of eating his own tail a, a little bit. But he's also got, like, doesn't he have, like, a, a sort of a, a Errol Flynn mustache during this period? I, I feel like he he's... He's like on the the fritz. There's 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 a break in the signal, and he's he's literally going two ways at at once. Yeah. Um, and uh, and does he trying want to, be to an sort entertainer? of entertainer. Yes. Right. Or does he want to be a sort of a maverick uh, rock star Lothario type? And I think I mean I know which one I like more, but I also am glad that the other exists because it adds this strange layer to the onion. Well, also, Let's Stick Together is like his, his biggest hit 
of, of all time. <laughs> no, it's like number four in England. And he's always, he loves dance music so much, and he finally gets a dance song that does well. And so then he goes from there, and like they, they basically put Roxy music on hiatus. They don't say it, it's over, but they put it on hiatus. They put out a live record. They put a great live record. By the way, yep. I would say that the live version of Out of the Blue is worth every price of admission, and the live version of Every Home in Every Home is a Heartache um, will, uh, you know, knock your hair back. I yeah, mean, it's, it will. Um, it's, worth, it's worth the wait. Then, uh, but then, in your mind is the first one that he does that's got more actual him writing. They say it's sort of like a second-rate siren. I like it a lot. I don't think it sounds like a second-rate siren. I think it sounds like, I mean, like let's, it's got Tokyo Joe. It's got Tokyo Joe, <laughs> um, which is the most pr- problematic of the Asian-themed songs that we have heard, <laughs> including Yellow Pearl, and we talked about Frozen Jap with uh, uh, Paul McCartney. But, oh, uh, my goodness. Uh, but it's catchy. Gosh darn it, it's catchy. Um... And, uh, and meanwhile, uh, Manzanera puts out um, Diamond Head. And Diamond Head is great. I actually... I love Diamond I Head. I like Diamond Head more than I like uh, uh, In Your Mind, which I really like In Your Mind. But Diamond Head has got two collaborations with Eno. Yep. He's got Big Day and Miss Shapiro. We should hear Big Day. Here, play it. Taking our time before it's through. Tossing our days in. It's so good. And the, the instrumentals on that record are great, too. And you realize that uh, Manzanera was more of a custodian of the sound than we had any idea. Yeah. And in the meantime, you have uh, Andy Mackay releases In Search of Eddie Riff. And Eddie <laughs> Riff is a real person. Uh, who is Eddie Riff? He's got he like released like three singles in the in the late fifties that are amazing and I and and uh, were hugely influential and Elvis covered a couple of the songs and they're great. I don't know anything more about Eddie Riff. Maybe that's why Andy went in search of him. <laughs> there's a, there's well, I'm glad he did because he gave us one of the greatest album covers of all time, <laughs> which is him on a pillow with a kitty cat looking at camera and his saxophone and of course his now famous. I. I I didn't notice it until I saw it on this album cover. His saxophone embroidered on his shirt, which shows up in a lot of old, like it clearly was his uniform. It was in older Roxy music stuff. You see that embroidered saxophone stuff. I mean, this guy's commitment to the sax. I mean, he loves the sax Next and level. it's not sax like Springsteen sax or no. even like Phil Spector sax. Although this, the, the song that's a hit he has a hit off that record, Wild Weekend. It's a top 20 hit in England, and it's a complete instrumental, and it sounds a lot like Telstar, which is one of uh, Ferry's favorite songs. It's one of my favorite songs, the Joe Meek song, yeah. which is a, you know sort of a galloping instrumental. But the fact that it would become a top 20 hit is just beyond uh, the pale. <laughs> it really is. And then uh, Mackay, by the way, I didn't know this, but in the book, they they talk about the relationship with Bowie a lot, and clearly there was a, they were mentioned the same oh, sentence a lot. And uh, they say that Bowie... 
Bowie was one of the great things about him, as we all know, he was a great, he could, he could um, incorporate whatever he saw. And uh, some would say steal whatever yes. he saw, but that's just what artists do. And yep. um, Brian said that Bowie came down and saw them, and then the next time he saw Bowie, he was dressed up like Andy Mackay. Uh, and if you look at the early early Roxy, Andy Mackay looks like Ziggy Stardust. Yep, that's true. Like a lot like Ziggy Stardust. And then Bowie takes that, tweaks it, and he's all of a sudden, his famous image of a period is actually Andy Mackay's famous image. Because anyway, I didn't I mean, know that. I, I didn't know it until I, I, I read that, and I was like, yep. Bo- Bowie did. Bowie did that, and then uh, I mean, I, I get it. This is a lot of lot of cross pollination, and a lot of time. Every time they lose a bassist, by the way, <laughs> they seem to go and play with King Crimson or Frank Zappa or some uh, or some oh, amazing. The they, they get such good bassists on all these songs, right? right. Uh, and also during this period, Andy Mackay starts writing all the music for the two season of television show called Rock Follies, which is about some ladies, uh, a, a band. I, I did not understand what was going on. So, uh, and he they have a top ten hit called It's Okay. It's yeah. a two season s- series of television that Andy Mackay writes all the music for, and someone else writes okay. the lyrics, and it's right. a top ten hit. So, yeah. In other words. In 1977, Andy Mackay is the most successful solo artist out of uh, Roxy Music. It's driving Brian very crazy a little bit. <laughs> because He's a competitive dude. At this point, Eno has basically been acclaimed by, a, by a, a, as genius by all the hipster critics out there. Yeah. Like he's embraced. And pretty much, you know, by embracing Eno, those there are certain types who reject Brian Ferry as a result mm-hmm. and, and, and say, and say, look at this guy. He's a, he's a joke. And yeah, we've got Andy McKay doing his thing. Manzanera's doing just fine. And he's, meanwhile, he's in, in high demand as a session musician. Too. Exactly. And, and Ferry, uh, uh, gets dumped by Jerry Hall who moves on to, uh, Mick Jagger. Yeah. That's rough. So that's rough. Um, and so he goes to Los Angeles and works with session musicians to make, his solo album The Bride Stripped Bear which I think by the way is a great title for a record wonderful and the cover um, is is awesome as well he's wearing a sort of a, a, a laser, new look a laser and yet he basically invents the new wave look on this record yeah and uh, again the through line of Brian Ferry is just as impressive it, it's it's genius I think level stuff that is going on for him in the 70s but because everyone else is sort of playing off of him and sort of using him as their launching pad he gets a little less praise or at least certainly in America well it's also clear that these uh, the, the critics and the fans who they love to tease Brian Ferry because he's such a good target. He just kind of whimpers at 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 every insult. They they mix up his name. They call him it like sounds like Melody Maker and Enemy were just trying as many ways ruthlessly to spell his name intentionally, picking on him, calling like Brianna Ferrari it's and such. <laughs> it is basically it is the English music press like distilled into one story in the way that they always talk about how how kind of like nasty it can Cruel be, but also are. kind of funny and and witty. And yet secretly they love him. They all love him. They're all inspired to do what they do. But can't let go off that record. Now, let's listen to that for a second. Please. Well, I rush out blazing. My pulse is racing as the rain streams down my face. There's no turning back now to fight me. 
fate Outnumbered out of place They said go west, young man, at best They say you feel no pain Well, it's okay if you dig the grave But I want to live again Can we go? There's a madness in my soul tonight Can we go? Let's stop riding like the storm It gets just, better and better too. It's so great it's too because it's it's him basically saying like how much he hates LA. He's in LA, and he, it's just Brian is is truly the man of constant sorrow. You know, yeah, I mean, he he just we- his he wears his sadness on his sleeve, and this place is getting him down. And I I think that's actually a few, big part of their charm. We haven't really talked about is the. Th- the melancholy, the, the sort of artsy melancholy, yeah. That you know, someone like Morrissey would 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 very much pick up on of Brian Ferry's persona, and he doesn't wield it; he owns it. He he is it in a he way. He is it. That's exactly he's not right. Trying to conjure it because he's also doing all this sort of Dracula type vocalizing, and it almost he he viewed he viewed music as paintings in a lot of ways because he was a painter first. And honestly, those are those are the songs that are the most successful because they're the most earnest. When he tries to do these upbeat songs, they're oftentimes very good, but he is simulating the high. Yeah. You know, he writes most of his songs in the middle of the night when he can't sleep because he's so fucking sad. I mean, he's, <laughs> and he's the sadness is what um, is one of the things that I think keeps drawing me back. There's so much depth to it because for a band that's known for irony to have this much sadness or melancholy, you know, at the core of it is really unbelievable. And yet at the same time, he's obsessed with dance music. Yeah. And then they decide to go full bore into dance music in phase number three. Manifesto. Manifesto. I'm being born in New York City and Manifesto is being made in a studio in England. And um, I texted, we were texting about this. I think the title track, Manifesto, is phenomenal. I think the rest of the record is pretty spotty. I love the main, the main song. I mean, I love that. I mean, or at least the, the, maybe it's the, the second half of the record doesn't. Uh-huh. Really like, me. like stranded, I tend to skip over manifesto. Um, I, I love the album title, and I love the cover. Actually, the b- bonkers good. It's so good, and yet it's 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 a tweak on the Roxy Music cover formula mm-hmm. because it's mannequins rather than. The, the real thing, but they've they've they're, they've decided to embrace disco 100 percent because it works with he spends most of his time in clubs anyway, um, and I, but I I do would just shout out to the song manifesto I think is great. This is also the last Roxy Music album that features the great Paul Thompson, which is a great sadness to mm. me. I don't quite know. I say there's musical differences. That's always code for other things. Mm-hmm. But uh, Thompson leads. He comes back for I think the second reunion tour. Okay. So bridges have been mended, and we've lost Jobson. Jobson is gone, and yeah. another base, and there's a, yet another bassist. I'm fairly sure. Yeah. In fact, at this point, the the al- the, the pictures of them as a band, it's like uh, when when they when they do the pictures for Flesh and Blood, it's like the three stalwarts, and then there's like eight guys behind them. I mean, yeah. And they all look like they're from L.A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, from then on, we we move into Flesh and Blood, which. 
for me was the biggest discovery of this yep. whole process. I always associated um, Avalon with that sort of 80s sound that we were talking about before, but it really, in 1980, on the dot, um, so, which means they were recording it in 79, um, they do this this album that I think is a, is totally ahead of its time and defines a, the sound to come. Yes, and by the way, does any single band that we know besides maybe the Beatles have this many iconic covers? Because this cover is incredible too. Oh. The, 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 the three blondes, or you can only see two of them holding javelins. It's it's so cool. The fun of it too is also that these are all gatefold albums. So what you see on like Spotify is not the full album. You gotta like Google all the images. They're We're great. so impoverished today. I know. Um, <laughs> but the uh, my feeling about Flesh and Blood though is there's such a red herring of the first song because I do think that the two covers on there in the Midnight Hour and Eight Miles High. Are I would just throw them out, um, yep. and because if you do use the rest, it's just eight songs. Every single one is great. Whoppers. And um, one of my my great perhaps discovery is oh yeah, I oh. think that song is a perfect song. Let's play it. We've got to. Some expression in your eyes. Oh. Surprise. Where was I? How was I to know? just a fantastic ringing chorus where they they set the blueprint i think for all of the certainly the new romantic stuff but it's it's adult crooned like that at that point many crooned like that afterwards but no he's and uh again it's a slight variation on his voice this is phase three it's even slicker I mean, we're light years away from the sort of knob twisting days, yep. and uh, but the the everything's in its place. Everything's sort of perfect. The song "Over You" I think is wonderful. Same old scene gets me every time. Yep. There's because there's there's still the melancholy in there. I mean, there's still rain, that. rain, rain, <laughs> rain, rain, rain. Oh gosh. <laughs> So yeah, though that's all. They, people always see that as sort of like a, a blueprint for Avalon. I I'm gonna. This is sacrilegious, but I prefer Flesh and Blood at this point. To I do Avalon. too. I, I totally. I'll, do. It's not. A, I like Avalon tons. Yeah, I, love, I would say Avalon is is undeniably a, an important record. Yes. Um, and it is consistent, like like, you know, in the way that um, Eno was talking about. Uh, uh, each track of the first album is, is 12 different directions mm-hmm. um, a rock could go or pop could go. Um, Avalon is consistent across the board to deliver one thing, and that's that's a vibe. And it's is, a vibe. Concord Airport Lounge. Yeah. I mean, it's like a... <laughs> there's a little bit of like the Varney sunglasses. That's for sure. Uh, um, American Psycho thing happening. Which, yeah, totally. But it's, oh, it's that's perfect. Totally it. It's perfect. I, I love it. And um, so that's the big send out. 
Barry Folds uh, Fox, no, Foxy Music. Barry Folds Roxy Music after uh, Avalon. Though people would say Boys and Girls is sort of Avalon Part Two, and that's yep. sh- Slave to Love's on Slave that. Slave to Love, which I think is not as good as the Roxy versions. And there's still, it, it's still, they almost record a new record when they do get, get to 2010 Olympia, and even Eno comes back from the fold. Right, I love that too. I love that that Barry is is basically like. You know, he never gives Eno credit for uh, uh, the genius that everybody else is slapping on him. He's like, oh, yes, I, I do. Now I remember that he was sort of a clever fellow. <laughs> you know. And at this time, he's become like patrician numero uno, and yeah. he's he's like a rock star. I mean, his son is really well known for like defending fox hunting or something right, like right. that. And but the, again, the distance you travel from pit ponies to fox hunting is a long way in the English society. And some would say it's it's almost impossible to traverse. But here you have Barry, who's taking on the affect of like almost Brideshead revisited. Yes. In a way that you know, is half uh, extremely charming and kind of what everyone thinks of as charming in the world and also half like kind of elitist um, uh, snobbery that people find so 1% distasteful. Uh, yeah. But he's, he's, he's also too much of an artist to ever fully be tracked down. But he, in the last couple of decades, I, have, I don't know this stuff as well, but there's a lot of cover albums. There's a couple of more serious. I mean, there's a reunion. He's going more and more into the past. I mean, he's he's even remaking. Yeah, again, it's it's fitting that his his first track ever is called "Remodel Remake" because it's it's a theme throughout. He's remaking old uh, Roxy Music songs um, to the tune of you know twenties era sounds. Um, He's he he does bittersweet on the newest album. Um, his voice has has changed and is is um, t- takes on sort of almost like a Leonard Cohen. Like he's lost the high, you know, the mm. high notes. Um, but I actually like his voice now. Um, uh, and and also it's worth noting that um, with Avonmore, uh, he did Johnny and Mary, which is a oh. Robert Palmer uh, cover, um, and I think he does a really good job. Another of that. sort of rakish, R- yeah, exactly. English sort of lover boy. Count on a count on a beautiful. Watched, I was trying to watch, trying to find good clips of him, like you know, speaking today and figuring out what he's about. And he's really not very forthcoming, but he goes on these shows and like he goes on basically the English version of The View, and it's all these ladies just completely lose it. They cannot handle. Uh, he's he's their childhood idol, like in the sort of and the, he's so the nervous. sexing symbol of that era for them. Well, so all right. Well, what do you got? What's your top five? Um, so top five. If we're doing um, Roxy top five, yes. Virginia Plain mm-hmm. in every dream home a heartache, a really good time, which I think is their best song of all time. Um, that is on Country Life and. If you want to get to the heart of Brian Ferry, I think it's a dialogue with himself. Mm, I'm a little agog because I don't that that song is fresh to me. I've listened to Country Life, so I'll know it. But I, the title, I can't wait to listen back. Um, end of the line, we played, mm-hmm. um, and same old scene off of Flesh and Blood. Um, and then if we're doing uh, solo efforts, uh, I picked the True Wheel uh, off. Eno's Taking Tiger Mountain, Big Day, Off Diamond Head, uh, Can't Let Go, um, off of Bride Strip Bear, and also uh, When She Walks in the Room, off Bride Strip Bear. 
And wow, then, my solo picks would be the exact same ones. I might also add like uh, Saint Elmo's Fire yeah. from, uh, but I'd the exact same ones. They're so good. Oh, it's so good. Um, so mine would be Two uh, HB. Awesome. Uh, Song for Europe. Uh, I would do since you did end of the line. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that as a that would have been on my list. Yeah, yeah. But um, I'm gonna go to Sentimental Fool. Then uh, the song Manifesto. Ooh. And then the song Oh Yeah. Oh, I, had a, I had a feeling you'd say Oh Yeah, which is the perfect combo. Uh, if with, I, if, the, if I were to scene. keep going, I'd probably do the Out of the Blue live version or Casanova. Um, but those are, that's a lot there. I mean, th- this is a band that doesn't just have four or five great songs. They've got like 60 great songs. We're yeah, actually... It's, it's why we've been like long-winded about this. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, there's so much to talk about. I mean, actually, they may not even release a whole, all 60 songs, but the, the, the percentage of good songs in their repertoire is off the charts. And I still find it fascinating that, you know, phase three um, was mimicked for, for the 80s sound. So many, so many bands... Tapped into that, but the seventies sound has still has not been recreated, mm. or or it has influenced a lot. I mean, it influenced punk music, but the sound itself is uniquely Roxy. Yep, they're a phenomenon, man. And I'm I've been so enriched by this whole thing, and I don't feel closer to Brian Ferry as a person because I still think he's fairly distant. But yeah. I'm entranced by the music and um, challenged by it, and also just. Um, uh, it, it brings me joy. Like I, I, uh, I find it uplifting, or I, I, I love listening to this music. I do too. I, as as I've been listening to all this stuff, I found it easier and easier to say, and it's and it's a hard thing to say, but I think Roxy Music is my favorite band. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my brother says. My brother calls them his Desert Island Band because there's so many phases. Yeah. There's so many great songs, and the f- sound is still so fresh. Yep. Well, let me leave you with this uh, Brian Ferry quote. Uh, he said, other bands wanted to wreck hotel rooms. Roxy wanted to redecorate them. <laughs> That's great. That's perfect. <laughs> um, how about, since you hadn't heard A Really Good Time, how about, how about signing off with that? Yes. That's one thing 